You guys can take a seat. Uh, well, good morning. I hope you guys are doing well today. Um, it is almost Christmas, uh, which is crazy. I can't believe 2018 is almost over. Um, if I have not met you before, my name is Thomas, uh, and I'm the youth pastor here at our uh, Anderson campus. Uh, and uh, I love what I get to do. Uh, this is also an exciting time in the Scythe household uh, because uh, we found out earlier this semester that my wife is pregnant. Uh, and so it's good. Uh, our youth kids and youth leaders have been submitting baby names to us uh, that we have been respectfully rejecting. Um, and uh, although some of them are pretty crazy. Uh, and it's fun because the uh, older part of the congregation, we'll say the wiser part, uh, has come around us. And they, it's it, the people who are, have been dads before, moms before, and they're like, get ready for no sleep. You know, it's like you're about, it's like the secret fraternity or something. Uh, and I'm like, I don't know what this means, but I like sleep. So what's happening? Uh, but anyways, we are, are, I'm so excited to be with you guys today. Um, and, and I want to begin today by telling you one of the stupidest things that I did uh, on one of the best weeks of my life. Um, and that is uh, the week that I proposed to my then girlfriend, Emily. Um, and, uh, and, and I don't know if, uh, if you are married or you're thinking about it, or maybe there's some of you in here today where you're like, I'm currently planning a proposal. Uh, you know, God be with you. But uh, it, it's this crazy moment, this big thing in history, right? It gets remembered forever and it falls on the shoulders of a 20-something-year-old man. Uh, and, and so there's a lot of pressure there and you want to keep it a secret. You want to keep it a surprise typically. And I remember I decided, okay, I want to propose, um, <clears throat> you know, and so I'm buying the ring and, 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 uh, all that stuff. And I remember, uh, if, if you're like my wife, Emily, she, like her, her best friend, like knew the full rundown of what she wanted. So when I talked to her, her friend about it, she had like a file folder for me. She's like, here you go. Here's everything you need. Uh, you are good to go. And I was like, thank you. Um, and, and it was so exciting. And I remember we decided we wanted to have an engagement party. Uh, and so it's about 50 people, your closest friends, your family. Uh, so many people are there. And it's hard to keep this thing under wraps because it's all of the people that you're hanging out with and your, your soon-to-be wife is hanging out with. Uh, and you're, you're saying, okay, we all want to know and, and be there, but we don't want her to find out. Uh, and, and so we're planning this party. And I remember a couple of weeks leading up to this party, I started making some phone calls and I was calling the people uh, just to personally invite them and say, hey, here's the plan. Here's where you go. Here's where you park. Don't say anything. Uh, and I remember I got to one phone call uh, and it was my friend, Michael. And he said, hey, dude, send me a picture of the ring. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, and I remember uh, I was like, okay, I'll send you the ring. Okay. I'd send him a picture. Great. And we're just talking and, and going on and asking about each other's lives and everything. All is, all is joyous in my life at that point. And then about 15 minutes later, he goes, Hey, I never got the picture, man. Like it, it never, I never got the picture. Uh, and I said, I said, okay, let me check. So I got out my phone. I'm looking at it. And, and I have about five, you know, text messages from my girlfriend at the time, Emily, I had sent a picture of the ring to her. Uh, and so if, if rule number one of keeping it a surprise or under wraps is don't do that. Um, so if, if you're planning something, that's what you do. And, and I learned, uh, I learned a very important lesson that day, right? Where my, where my, 
where I place my attention matters, right? If I'm distracted, if I'm preoccupied, if I'm thinking about a lot of different things, if I'm focusing so much uh, on something, it can, it can distract me and cause me to make a big mistake. Thankfully, she said yes, uh, and she's very gracious, and she's here. And, uh, but, and I'm so, so thankful for that. But where I place my attention matters, and that's what I want to talk about today. Uh, and what I, what I mean by attention is not just th- this moment right now, but w- my life's focus. W- what are the things that my life orients around? What are the things that fill my thoughts? What are the things that I just fixate on? The, thing, the things that I hold on to. What is that? Where is your attention this morning? Right? You might be anticipating a busy holiday season, this Christmas season, and there's a lot of different things going on. Where is your attention? Where do you find it going? And what I want to do today uh, is talk about where our attention should be placed. If we want to be a people that passionately follows Jesus, that we follow close after him. And by passionately, I mean, we are excited about his mission. We are making disciples. We are excited about the things that God is excited about. And we hate the things that God hates. And we are making disciples and we're actively involved. And we maintain that zeal. How do we, how do, we do that? If we want to do that, our full attention has to be placed on Jesus. Our full attention has to be placed on Jesus. And the text I want to look at today uh, is Matthew chapter 1. So if you have a Bible, you can go there. Matthew chapter 1. Um, and as you're going there, I want to explain a little bit about what's going on in the context before we get started. Uh, the book of Matthew is written by uh, uh, one, uh, Matthew, also known as Levi. Uh, but he is writing to a group, uh, mainly Jewish group, right? They had seen the death and resurrection of Jesus, but then they saw Jesus commission the disciples, and then Jesus was gone. And there's this growing kind of anxiety in them where they're saying, okay, like Jesus came and he went, but, but where's the kingdom of God? Where is, what's going on? There's, there's some things still happening that, where's Jesus at? Is he really the one that, that was to come? Which reminds us a lot of what John the Baptist says, should we expect another? And you see this kind of growing anxiety in the people. And Matthew writes the gospel of Matthew in response to that group. And he says, I want to tell you something. Jesus is the one. He is the one. And he begins his defense of Jesus's. Why is Jesus worthy of our attention? He, def- he defends that by starting off with the genealogy of Christ. And that's where I want to sit today, is talking about the genealogy of Christ. Uh, and you might be saying, oh no, a list of names. Like, unless you're an accounting major, you're like, what's going to happen? You're like, like the accounting majors are like, oh, a spreadsheet. Like, I like that. That's organized. I like that. Um, but <laughs> what can a list of names teach us? There's a couple of things I want to look at specifically today. Jesus, he is the fulfiller of promises. He is the rightful king. And he is the merciful redeemer. And before we go forward, I want to say this. Jesus is at the center of what God is doing. And so we need to set our attention on him. Right? We need to set our attention 
as Christ followers, our religion does not revolve around just certain truths. Our, we don't, it doesn't revolve around just the scriptures. We revolve around a person, and that's Jesus. Everything we do goes back to the person of Christ. And I want to say this. What comes to mind when I think about Jesus is the most important thing about me. The things that I associate with Christ, there's nothing more important than that. And so I want you to think through what comes to mind when I think about Jesus. What comes to mind? And so I want to start with this. Uh, He is the fulfiller of promises. So if you would, read with me in Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 1. And Matthew writes, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David and the son of Abraham. Right? So he says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And I want to highlight this word Christ right here. Because a lot of times there's words that appear in scripture and we, and we become so familiar with them that we kind of just gloss over them, right? And we're like, okay, maybe that's just Jesus's last name or something. I don't know what's happening. But Jesus Christ is not his, Christ is not a name, but it is a title. And, and Christ comes, it is a Greek, comes from a Greek word that represents Messiah. Messiah is more, is, is where we get a word. It's from a Hebrew word. And Messiah means the anointed one. And so when John, or when Matthew starts his gospel and he says, let me tell you up front who I'm talking about. He says, Jesus is the Christ. He says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the anointed one. And in other words, it's saying he is the one, Jesus is the one we've been anticipating. He's the one we've been looking forward to. He's the one who's the fulfiller of the promises. And you're saying, what promises are you talking about? Right? What promises have been made? And I want to look at this verse again. He says, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And uh, I will talk about David here in a second. But he says, the son of Abraham. And you're like, okay, Abraham's a pretty old dude. Jesus can't be a son. Like, what's, what's talking? He's saying, Jesus is fulfilling the promise that was made to Abraham. And so if you're familiar with the scripture, Abraham, he is at the beginning of the scriptures. You see him show up in the book of Genesis early on and God appears to him and he speaks to him in Genesis chapter 12. And he says, here's a promise. Here's an offer I'm going to make to you. Uh, And he says this, he goes, Abraham, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so God makes this promise to Abraham and he says, I'm going to use you. I'm going to make you great. But there's going to be someone who comes from you that will be a blessing to the entire world. And someone from your family is going to make things right. They're going to rise to such a place that they will be able to set all things right. And all people will be blessed by this person. And so when Matthew says, he is the son of Abraham, when he says he is the Christ, he's saying, that's Jesus. He's the one who fulfills the promises. And so the rest of the Old Testament is anticipating this over and over and over and over again. So you see the 12 tribes of Israel, right? They they rise up, but they're they're not the ones. You see the judges, right? You read the book of Judges, but they're not the ones either. You see the kings rise to power and they're not the ones. You see the prophets long for the day when the Messiah would come. And all of that in the Old Testament is looking forward to Jesus. 
A lot of times I work with high schoolers and junior high students. A lot of times they think like, okay, Jesus shows up in Matthew. Like that's where he is entering the picture. And what I'm saying is in the Old, Te- the Old Testament is about Jesus. It's anticipating. It is a pro- it's showing us the promises that have been made and how they are fulfilled in Jesus. This is why Paul will write in 2 Corinthians. He'll say, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, was not a yes and a no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. They're like, Jesus is not flaky. He's not yes and no. Some things, yeah. He says, the promises that God has made find their yes in Jesus. Uh, me and my wife recently watched uh, the Chronicles of Narnia movie. Uh, I don't know if you have any, if, any fans out here. Um, two of you. That's good. Um, but we watched these movies together, and, uh, and it's, it's fun. It's an amazing story. Uh, the movies are a little cheesy, but the story is amazing. Uh, the books are even better. Uh, and it's, it's, this story is, uh, is so fun because you see these kids stumble upon this land called Narnia, right? And they are, it's all snowy and it seems pretty at first, but pretty quickly they realize there's something that's happening here that's, that's strange, right? There's a suppression that has taken place, right? They meet Tumnus and he's like, what? Like, who, who are you? Like, and, and they're trying to talk and, and he's afraid. And, and, and even at one point, some of the people in the story say, hey, we can't talk here. Even the trees are listening to us. Right? And these kids are like, you guys are crazy. What's happening? Uh, and what you come to find out is there's this big suppression that has come. And there's this longing for the fulfillment uh, of some of these promises that have been made. And then there's a point in the story where everything changes. Right? The, 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 the kids are anticipating and the, the characters are anticipating. There, there's word that someone has shown up. And his name's Aslan. Right? He's here on the cover. And he's the one who represents the fulfillment of the promises that have been made to end this oppression in the story. And that's exactly what Jesus does. He's our hope. And because Jesus has fulfilled promises in the past, we can be confident that he will fulfill promises in the future. Right? And that builds confidence in us. So when I talk about passionately following Jesus, we have to be confident in that. And we say, Jesus, I trust you. You will fulfill the promises you have made, right? Promises to end sin, promises to end death, promises to end pain and suffering. He says, I will take care of that. But you might say, Thomas, wait, wait, wait. That's still very much present, right? Jesus has come and he's gone, yet my knee is still sore, right? <laughs> my back hurts. My, I, my, I have a friend who is ill, Right? Me and my wife, we're, she's pregnant now, but we walked through a season of infertility before that. Why does stuff like that still happen? Did Jesus fail? Did he not fully fulfill that, that promise to end sin and death? No. Uh, we take a group of students to the UK every summer. So about 10 high schoolers plus a couple adults. It's one of the f- best things that I get to do all year. Uh, and it, I don't know if you know the state of uh, England, as far as spiritually speaking, only about 3 to 5% of that country uh, is Bible-believing evangelical Christian. Uh, and so only 3 to 5%, let that set in, like, set in. Less than 5%. And so when we show up, we get to go to the public schools in England and we're sharing the gospel in public schools because there it's a little bit different. Here we separate church and state. There it's fully integrated, 
Uh, and so they, they, they are almost forced to talk about religion, but it's in a very historical way. The majority of students we interacted with either did not believe in God at all or thought he didn't care. So he's just, he's, yeah, maybe he exists, but he doesn't, he's not active. Uh, and I remember sitting down with a girl and she was about a ninth grader. And I remember sitting down with her and I was asking her, you know, we were talking about, hey, we, we believe that God's good. This, this is what we believe. And she said, can I tell you why I don't believe in God? I said, okay, let's, let's have a conversation about that. And she says, when I was younger, I prayed and I asked God to heal my friend and he didn't do it. And now my friend's not here anymore. He goes, and that's why, she said, that's why I don't believe in God. And I remember sitting there just saying, man, like, what do you, what do you, what do you say to that? Like, God, like God hasn't failed. Did, like, wh- I know he's going to end sin and death. What's happening? And what we have to remember is that the reason that, that Jesus has not set all that right yet is because he wants as many people as possible to be a part of his family. That's why he delays. He's, he, he wants more and more people to come to faith. But in response to that, one of the things we train our kids to say is not, hey, God wants to use that. God used that to teach you something. That's a really terrible response. Instead, we say, God didn't want that to happen. And in fact, God gave everything. He gave of himself to put an end to that. God said, God gave us Jesus to fulfill the promises, to put an end to death. And so that's the first thing I want us to remember today. Jesus, he is the fulfiller of promises. We must, we must latch onto that. Second thing, he is the rightful king. And I know it's like, we've only done one verse and we're, we have 17 to go, but it's going to be good. We're going to get through it. Um, going back to verse one, it says, okay, I want to highlight the son of David. I said that he is the rightful king. Um, I don't know if uh, you guys were uh, a part of the uh, fad that was the royal wedding um, and, and you saw uh, like the, the, all the fanfare that was around that earlier this summer. Uh, it was uh, a lot of fun because uh, you just, people are getting up crazy early. They're like watching the TV. They don't even know these people. And they're like, I just want to know your wedding. Like, I want to know all the things that are happening. Like, Ooh, look what she's wearing, all this stuff. And and people were obsessed. There's a whole country and even for uh, the whole world for a moment was just fixating on this Royal wedding. Uh, And I I asked myself, why, why, why did they do that? Why, Why are so many people infatuated with the Royal wedding? People get married all the time. Right? Like, you know, I'm in the part of my life where like friends are getting married, you know, and you're like, you kind of get to a point where you're like, okay, like I'm done. (laughs) I get it. (laughs) Weddings. Right? But people were so set on this and it wasn't because they're just super, super funny. It wasn't because, oh, they're just like the cutest couple. And like, we just want to see. It was because they were royalty. That's what made the difference. And royalty demands our attention. It demands our worship. And so when Matthew says, I want, to sh- I want you to remember something else about Jesus. He is the right, he's the rightful king. He says, I, I want, it's important that Jesus is royalty. He says, I want to show you that he is royalty, that he is the rightful king. And, and so there's something else. Uh, it's called the Davidic covenant. Uh, And and so, again, if you're not familiar with scripture, uh, you see a promise, uh, a covenant that God makes with King David when he's king over Israel. Uh, And he says, I will raise up your offspring after you 
uh, who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom and he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And I want to highlight a couple things. He says, he's going to come from you. He'll come from your, he'll be one of your offspring. Uh, and he goes, and his throne will never end. And so you see all throughout the Old Testament, there's this, again, there's this anticipation of who's going to be the king, who's going to be the one. And, and again, the kings rise up, but they ultimately fail. And, and Matthew's making this point here. He says, he's the son of David. He is the king. He is the king. But then there's a lot of other things that are happening within this genealogy. And I want to go through that. Uh, this genealogy, if you notice, uh, I don't know if you've ever read the book of Luke, but in Luke chapter 3, he gives a genealogy of Jesus as well. Starting with Joseph, going all the way back, just like Matthew's doing. But there is one problem. The lists are very, very different, right? Even the first, uh, they say, who they say is Joseph's uh, uh, father is different. Uh, and so there's a question, why are they different? Is one of them wrong and one of them right? One of them just had bad sources or something? What's happening? And the answer is this. Matthew's doing something different than Luke is doing. Luke was trying to show us, here is the literal genealogy of Jesus. You can go through. That's, this is his grandpa. This is his great-grandfather. Great-great. He's going literally, this is who his dad was all the way back. But that's not what Matthew's doing. Matthew is showing us the royal lineage that goes through Solomon to David. And so what does that mean? Uh, It means a couple things. It means uh, that the structure of the genealogy is a little bit different, right? There's some names that are missing. So if you read, uh, if you're, again, familiar with scripture, you'll see that there's generations that are skipped in the genealogy. Uh, And so one of them uh, is, uh, I actually didn't write that. Oh, no, it's verse 8 and 9 of this. Chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. It'll say, Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham. And I know what all of you guys are thinking. You're saying, hey, that's different than the list in 1 Chronicles chapter 3, right? We're all thinking that. Uh, and if you go through 1 Chronicles 3, you'll see that Ahaziah, Joash, and Amaziah are missing. There's three kings left out. There's three offspring left out, right? And we're all like, where are they? They're, those are our favorites. What's going on here? Come on. Um, what is Matthew doing? One, it was a common practice. You could skip generations if you could prove, okay, that was my grandfather or that was my, part of my family. The royal line could still be established. But Matthew's also showing us something else. He's showing us the trace of the rights of the kingship. So someone's heir, right? If I die and I leave my estate, if I leave my stuff to someone, that is my, they are the heir to what I have. And sometimes if a king didn't have any children uh, or if uh, there was a premature death or something like that, he could leave that right to someone else, maybe his brother's children or maybe one of his other kin. And so why Matthew's genealogy looks a little bit different is because it's tracing that line. It's not tracing the physical human line. It is tracing the royal right leading back to David. So it's going through firstborn sons. It's going through those who inherited the rights because there was no children and so on and so on. And so, so what you see Matthew doing is saying, you can be fully confident that Jesus is the rightful 
king. But then second thing, he's saying, this is so important. I want to structure this whole list of names so that you can memorize it. Right? And that's going to be our application today. Just kidding. Um, But you see, there's a 14, 14, 14 structure. What do I mean by that? If you look down at verse 17, this is what it says. It says, so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. And you're like, Matthew, what's up with 14? Like, what is going on? And it's this. David's number is 14. Right? Similar, if you think about uh, George Bush, he j- who just passed away and was buried at George Bush Presidential Library. Right? What, there's a certain number that's associated with him. We see it all over campus. 41. Right? That number was associated with him. So much so that all the banners around campus that usually say A&M and, and, and sh- say all that stuff were replaced with banners that simply said 41. And we knew who that is talking about. Right? In the same way, the number 14 represented David's name. Why? If you take the letters in David's name, there's three of them, and they're in Hebrew, uh, and each letter of the Hebrew alphabet is associated with a certain number. And if you add all the numbers of David's name together, you get 14. And so what Matthew is again trying to do is to say, I want you to remember, I want you to remember that Jesus is the rightful king. He goes, David, he's David, he's David's son. He is the king. And like I said earlier, knowing that Jesus is the rightful king creates worship. So let's keep going. The last thing that I want us to remember today about Jesus. Jesus, he is the merciful redeemer. And this one might be the best one of all of them. So there's another interesting thing that's going on in this genealogy, right? And you guys are like, I didn't know there was so much that could happen in a list of names. Get ready. Um, What can a genealogy possibly tell us about Jesus being redeemer? Well, one, if you look, there's some names that are included that if you, if they were part of your family, you would try to block them out, right? That would be the family member you do not invite to the reunion. You're like, because cousin Joe is going to fight again. We don't want that to happen. We're not going to, we're going to block him out, right? These are the family members you'd be like, hey, they're, That's a second cousin, you know, like they're not actually really. So look at this. If you see in verse two, you see Jacob is specifically mentioned, right? Jacob is an important figure, but Jacob was also a deceiver, right? That's literally what his name means. And so you see the presence of sinful men, blatantly sinful men are all over this genealogy. It is not a group of holy, really high character people only. Right? If you keep going, you see Judah. But, but Matthew decided to say, hey, I, I'm not just going to say Judah. I'm going to say these are Judah's children, and they were by Tamar. And I don't know if you know the story of Tamar, but uh, for Judah, Tamar was his daughter-in-law and the mother of his children. It was a very messed up situation. Tamar had dressed up like a prostitute in order to trick her uh, uh, to, in order to trick Judah into sleeping with her, right? Messed up family situation. <laughs> and yet Matthew highlights it. He says, I don't want you to forget. Remember, Judah by Tamar gave birth to these guys. If you keep going, even David, right? 
Couldn't you have you just said David, the son, or he gave, he, he, he gave birth to, or his, his, whatever, his son was Solomon. Couldn't have you just said that? But you see, he adds in, by the wife of Uriah. Right? Matthew highlights again. He goes, don't forget, there's brokenness all over this line. And that's Bathsheba. Right? David took someone who did not, was not his. She belonged to someone else in marriage. And he said, I want that for myself. And then he killed her husband. A completely broken situation. Yet, Matthew is highlighting it. And he says, I want you to remember that. And that's all through this list. If you go through some of the kings, some of them had curses pronounced on them. They were wicked men in other regards. Uh, and you see... Matthew is not shying away from saying there's sinful people in the line of Jesus. Uh, the second thing, there's the presence of women. Uh, in that day, with Matthew's day, it is not typical to include women in a genealogy like this. Yet five different women are shown, right? I've already talked about some of them. Tamar, but it wasn't, she wasn't just a woman. She was also, she's traditionally held to be a non-Jew. So she wasn't even Jewish. She was an outsider. You see Rahab in verse 5 who was a prostitute in Jericho and then converted to, she, she said, I believe in, in Yahweh. I want to be a part of this people, right? But she was a Canaanite, yet she's still included. She's still singled out. You have Ruth who's included, right? And she's a Moabite. You have the wife of Uriah, like I talked about, who's known for her adultery with David. And then you have Mary, who maybe she had the cleanest reputation because she was only accused of cheating on her husband. Um, but you have these women who are included in this list. And again, not only is Matthew highlighting the fact that there's sinful people in Jesus' lineage, he's saying outsiders are a part of the lineage too. Why do we say that, right? What's going on here? And I think it's this, and I want to say this quickly. For Matthew, the author, this is not a hypothetical for him. If you read the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 9, Matthew tells his own story, right? Matthew was a tax collector, right? He's traditionally held to be understood to be a Jew who had betrayed his people by selling them out to the Roman government as a tax collector. Yet Jesus saw him and he looked at him in Matthew chapter 9 and he says, follow me. I want you to, I want you to be a part of my family. And Matthew does. And then, and then you see Matthew begin to hang out with Jesus and so much so, there's ha- they're having this little get-together, Matthew. The Pharisees come over and they say, Jesus, why do you hang out so often with tax collectors and sinners? Why do you do that? That's Matthew chapter 9. And this is Jesus' response. It says, when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous but sinners. So whereas the Pharisees were saying, why would you hang out with someone like that? Don't you know that they're going to stain your reputation? Don't you know that they're going to bring you down? Don't you know that's going to hurt your witness to the world, right? That, don't you know that they're going to have a negative effect on you? Jesus says, this is exactly why I came. And that's why we have to remember, Jesus is the merciful redeemer. This wasn't a foreign story to Matthew. He's part of it. And what's so cool is the language of the New Testament that's picked up after this. Check this out in Galatians 4. The way that believers are talked about, they're talked about like family. So Paul will write in Galatians of believers, he says, You are no longer slaves, 
but you are God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. And I love that language because essentially what the New Testament is doing, and this is all over the place, he's saying the genealogy is, uh, of Jesus from Abraham, from David is full of brokenness. But the genealogy doesn't actually stop with Jesus. Jesus came so that the genealogy could continue. And he's adding people into his family. And, and he welcomes outsiders and he welcomes people who are broken. So regardless of what, what you're doing this morning, where you're at, what you did last night, the invitation is there. Jesus says, I want you to be a part of my genealogy. I want you to be a part of my family. You can be my brother. You can be my sister. God calls us co-heirs. The father, we are sons of God, sons and daughters. And even more so, if you read in verse 16, you see Matthew kind of conclude the genealogies. He says, and Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. He reaffirms Jesus is the one we've been waiting for. Why? Why is he the one qualified to be the king, the redeemer? Why is he the one who fulfilled the promises? I love it because in this one sentence, Jesus shows, Jesus' genealogy through Joseph shows he holds the royal right to the throne because that comes through the father. Yet Joseph wasn't Jesus' physical father. He says, because Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. And so you see Jesus' royalty you see Jesus's humanity and you see Jesus's divinity coming together in this one verse. And then Matthew just says, and that's why we call him Christ because he's the one who's uniquely qualified to redeem us. He's the one we've been waiting for. So to kind of wrap this up, right? I said that we need to place our attention on Jesus because what we say about Jesus is the most important thing about us, right? You don't want to send pictures of an engagement ring to your soon-to-be fiancé. We have to get our attention on the right thing. And so these three truths I highlight, and there's more I could list out about Jesus. It's not an exhaustive list, but I want us to just hold on to these this week right? Let's not even think about like, oh, the rest of our lives, we'll never sin again. It'll be great. Just this week, how can you rally and remind yourself that Jesus, he is the fulfiller of the promises of God. He is the rightful king and he is the merciful redeemer. How can you do that? We're about to go on a holiday. We're about to be uh, kind of take some time off. Some of us have more time off than others, which is okay, right? College kids have like a month off. High schoolers have two weeks off. And then the rest of adults have like a day off. And you're like, hey, uh, you know, but we still have this season that we come together, that our families come together, that the world comes together to celebrate Christ. And here's something I often see. Uh, and, and again, I'm, I'm biased because I work with a lot of junior high and high school students. But I think a lot of what I see, even in the most godly families, sometimes parents assume that their kids are picking up on the reason for why they do what they do. And that's not always, and so, and so they, don't, they don't explain things. They say, oh yeah, yeah, of course, right? We go to church every week. So they're picking up on that, why that's important. Right? We, we pray before meals. So they understand. Uh, and, and what our children need, what our junior high and, and really all our kids need. But they need, they need this explained to them. They need this pointed out. 
Spend some time this holiday praying together as a family, just saying, hey, let's thank Jesus for who he is. Not before a mealtime prayer, because sometimes that becomes so just memory and like we say the same prayer and we use words that we never use in any other context, like blessed or like transform this food into like nourishment. Uh, You know, like we don't pray like that. Have a time where you pray with your family. Have a time where you just read scripture together. Let your kids see what you're doing in your devotional. Right? Loop them into that. Explain it to them. And you might be saying, I don't have kids, so I guess I don't have anything. No. Um, if, if, if you don't have a lot of plans or you're not going to be with your family, one of the things you can do for yourself is read the book of Matthew this holiday. Read through. Because Matthew in particular, more so than any of the other gospel writers, focuses on the kingship of Jesus. Because he's saying Jesus is the one we've been waiting for. Jesus is the fulfillment, right? Jesus is this, he is the one. So as you read through the book of Matthew, you see that reinforced. Read through the book of Matthew. And if you have the ability, whether you're a parent or not, to shape your family's traditions this holiday, take some time to say, what are our traditions actually celebrating? Because sometimes we can form traditions that are good, but they just celebrate our families, right? They just celebrate time together. And what we actually need to do is orient the traditions we do to celebrate the one who is deserving of our attention, Jesus Christ. Ask yourself, where is my attention at today? So if you would, bow your head with me. Let's pray. Father, we humbly come before you today. God, we are God, we are floored by what you have given us in your son Jesus. God, we are thankful for him. God, give us the strength to follow passionately after Jesus just this week. God, help us to set our minds on the right thing. Because if we don't have our minds set on Jesus, we can never passionately follow him. So God, help us with that. God, give us your spirit. God, give us eyes to see those around us in ways that we can encourage them and explain who Jesus is more fully to one another. God, I pray that there'd be a spirit of repentance even as we leave here to say, man, I've been seeing Jesus the wrong way. I've seen him as distant. I've seen him as someone who is far off. But but instead your scriptures say Jesus is close and he's inviting May we not neglect that. And so God, help us do that this holiday. God, we pray all these things by the power of your spirit in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you all. You guys have a good week. Uh, Don't forget uh, Todd Berkey's pastoral meet and greet is in the fireside room if you'd like to hang out with him. Uh, But if not, uh, we will see you guys later. Have a good one.